Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere you can find a podcast, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Alexa via TuneIn even, and you can stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreview.com. From that website, there's also a support tab. So if you're going to click on that, do a direct PayPal uh, donation or support, that would be great. There's also an Amazon wish list if you want to pick something up for the studio. You can also follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube.com slash About to Review. On this week's episode, it is going to be a little bit breezier than normal. Just two movies to get through and a couple news items. Joining me on this week's adventure, once again via the Skype machine, is Tim Hall, the People's Critic. Hey! It's good to be back, <laughs> even if it's via Skype machine. Even if it is via Skype machine, hopefully I can get you back in the studio soon. There's definitely some stuff coming up that, uh, yeah, we, we need to talk about. So Nah, I'll pass. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Always a friend. <laughs> uh, and then before we get into uh, the show, I have some sponsors to shout out that I had mentioned in previous episodes. So this coming weekend... I will be attending the Vancouver Badass Film Festival in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, a place that Tim and I both love to go to for various reasons. When was the last time you were up there? Uh, last year, but my, I'm supposed to be going this month for my birthday. My friend wants to take me to Vancouver, so I'll be doing that. Nice. So yeah, so yeah. the Vancouver Badass Film Festival is going on the weekend of March 29th through the 31st, and one of the co-creators of the festival, David Abusafi, and his companies, Generativity Productions and Darkside Releasing, uh, sponsored me to go up there and cover the festival for my first time. So Generativity Productions is a Vancouver-based financing and production company that makes it happen for budget genre film. Generativity Productions make it happen. And then Darkside Releasing is also a Vancouver-based international distribution company specializing in wild genre films. So I'm super excited to cover that festival. And thank you so much to both David Abusafi, Generativity Productions, and Darkside Releasing for sponsoring my coverage of that. All right, now that we got the nuts and bolts out of the way, it is on to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, so the first couple geek news items. Uh, so one of my guilty pleasure movies that I have talked about in previous episodes in my famous annual No Shame November uh, episodes, I love Starship Troopers. Uh, mm. <laughs> the 1997 Paul Verhoeven insane movie Starship Troopers. Not a big fan of the two sequels. That they made, or the animated one, 
but the mm-hmm. original, I love that stupid movie so much. Uh, Jake Busey recently <laughs> <laughs> talked about uh, there was some sort of festival or convention going on, and somebody brought up like, "Hey, I heard some whispers that you know the writer might be thinking about doing a Starship Troopers TV show." Jake Busey kind of confirmed that, saying that they had been having some talks and that he and Casper Van Dien would then be the instructors at whatever military camp is going on. Uh, I I am all in for that, even though it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, who... (laughs) What channel would this be on? Oh, who knows? If they want to have it as ridiculously gory as... The first movie, well, I mean, and the subsequent movies, but really the first movie, Showtime. Uh, Shudder. Oh, Shudder. Great option. Shudder, yeah. Because, yeah, it just, who knows, if this, if this will happen. Casper Van Dien actually did come back for the third movie, which the third movie was, it was actually almost closer to the original book uh, that Robert Heinlein wrote. They were in, like, big mech suits. Granted, the big mech suits had huge crucifixes on them in the third movie. And I think that was the only reason that Casper Van Dien agreed to come back. (laughs) So, yeah, it it was a bit heavy handed. Uh, But yeah, so Jake Busey said that, yes, they are working on a a show that we might see at some point. Uh, Another actor who said that he is working on something that we are going to see at some point. Your man. Jai Courtney. Uh, I love Jai Courtney. Announced that he is coming back for Suicide Squad 2. Written, yeah, he is. Written and directed by James Gunn. He is. He'll be back as Captain Boomerang. As Captain as Captain Boomerang, which... Okay, I just... I'm so confused about this Suicide Squad 2 movie mm-hmm. because they have said flat out that this is not a sequel. This is a fresh reboot. Yep, it's a soft reboot. It's soft reboot, but you are bringing in the person who played a character in the movie just that we saw like three years ago, and yet yeah, there'll, bring... be, there'll <laughs> be other returning characters, I imagine. Well, Harley Quinn is most likely not going to be in it because she is doing like the Birds of Prey or the Emancipation of Harley Quinn from the something something Joker something. Mm-hmm. So. I just I still have no idea what to think about this Suicide Squad 2 movie, but Jai Courtney being in it, Jai Courtney is fun. I like him in most things. I I think this is just gonna be weird. Yeah, it'll be weird, but you know, I don't you know, there's no real plan over there in DC, so we'll see whatever they come up with. You know, we got the Joker trailer coming out, we've got Birds of Prey, you know, and we don't get the next DC movie till Wonder 2020. Woman. 2020. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's a long time. It is a very long time, and that definitely we'll talk about that more once we go into uh, the Shazam review, which I forgot to say that on this episode we will be reviewing Dumbo and Shazam. But yeah, so we will talk about how that kind of ties in a little bit later. Uh, the next bit of news. So Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt are officially on board for the A Quiet Place sequel. Good, I like Killian Murphy. I like both. Yeah, Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt. John Krasinski is writing it, and I believe he is going to be directing it again. Good. Uh, like, this is something where this is a sequel that nobody really, quote-unquote, asked for, 
but I am glad they're doing it. Like the way they. I mean, go I ahead. saw the first one and I was excited to see the like the like what's the rest rest of the world dealing with. So mm-hmm. in the original movie, we just see these two people sort of in some farmland in the woods. We have no idea what the rest of the world looks like. It reminds me of like the the Purge movie, mm. and then it was like, huh, I wonder what the rest of the world is doing with what the, what it looks like throughout the city, and then through uh, the subsequent sequels, we saw what the purge looked like throughout the city through um, the the eyes of a politician, Mm -hmm. through poor people. And then during the first purge, the last movie, we saw how it all started. So they have a chance to like broaden the bigger world and see how people are dealing with these crazy aliens. Yeah. And I just, I definitely am interested to see if where this will actually be taking place because on a farm or not, well, yeah, kind of on farm land, like in the middle of nowhere, is an interesting setting because they can kind of map stuff out. It is wide open. I want to see what this looks like in a cityscape. Like, yeah. And, and if people have found a way to maybe put up some walls or if they have like some sort of protection or if it is still just completely terrifying like it was in the original, but in a city environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's, you know, I'm in for, I'm in, I'm all in. Yeah. And especially, I mean, like you said, with the purge to see if this, uh, kind of attack, alien attack, which we again we never really know details of. If this is worldwide, if this was just America, it sounds like it's worldwide when you look at the newspaper clippings. That was yeah. I mean, we do get a couple of those clues, but we never again we never see yeah anything. Never so it. yeah, so I'm down for that. So that is aiming for a May fifteenth, twenty twenty release date. Hey, before Wonder Woman. Look at that. <laughs> yep, uh, it sure is. It seems like almost everything is before Wonder Woman because for whatever reason, they pushed it back almost an entire year. It's a weird. That's a, it's a weird. Uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, it's weird. it is weird. Uh, and then the last bit of geek news, Annabelle comes home. <laughs> the third in the Annabelle series and the, oh gosh, eighth maybe movie in, in the Conjuring's. Oh, it might be even more. They might be up to 10. They've really, like, squeezed everything out of that limb and they could. Yeah. The thing is, like, with Annabelle, the most recent one, Annabelle Creation, I actually really Bruh. liked. I mean, I was surprised. Was that the one at the, group, at the group home? Yes. With the girl? Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, like, I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that one. This one, this is kind of the... <laughs> not even... I mean, they keep tying all these together but in really weird ways this yeah. one flat out in the trailer they released we see annabelle and we see uh patrick wilson and vera formiga oh, boo. right and now they are against annabelle yeah these are the same they, they... people who have gone up against other demons everything <laughs> like, so uh, yeah they're like avengers at this point they pretty much are like and ed and lorraine Warren, like this is loosely based off of true, well, not loosely, like these were real people who did real investigations. Annabelle is a real doll that had some real stuff. So, like, they keep taking these little grains of truth and then just being like, and then they fought a demon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cheap horror. I imagine they're gonna, you know, it's probably cheap to make and then you hopefully you cash in and it drops in October probably, and you get to, you know get as much money as you can. But it's you know. Oh, I mean, I'm I, not I'm not at all interested in this movie. 
but you are probably going to see it. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I didn't see The Nun. Oh, good gravy. The Nun was <laughs> atrocious. And it, it was one of those scary movies that it relied completely on jump scares. Yeah. And that just like that complete that takes away from the thrill because when you know that that is what they're gunning for, as opposed to a scary movie where it builds and it builds and you're like, okay, is something going to come here? Is it a music cue? But all it was, you knew it was just gonna be jump scare after jump scare. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't expect Annabelle, whatever this is, comes home <laughs> to be any different. I mean, Annabelle Creation, that was actually what I liked about it is that there were definitely those jump scares. But it earned them in different ways. Yeah. And, and I appreciated that. It still has. <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, yeah. So it's still like Annabelle Creation still has one of the creepiest scenes that I have seen in a horror movie in a long time. And it, it is under the stairs of this creepy house. And you see Annabelle, like you see the doll, like almost just almost shrouded in darkness. And you so you start to focus in on that. Meanwhile, behind her, as you're looking into the darkness, you see these two yellow eyes above it slowly start to appear as you're looking at it, and then it rips the doll back. Yeah. That earned the jump scare, because then, like, it forces you to pay attention, and then it gets you, as opposed to being like, oh, we turned a corner, and boom. Yeah. So, I mean, Annabelle Creation, though, like, the budget was $15 million, so still low. Still Domestically. Low? It made a hundred and two, and foreign it made two hundred and four for a total of three hundred and six million dollars, and that is why we keep getting a new That's Conjuring why movie. We keep getting one every year. <laughs> I mean, they, these they'll movies. They'll be in space next time. They'll be. They'll be in space. I mean, that was the '90s trope that every horror movie ended up in space. Jason X. Jason X was in space. Leprechaun went to space. Mm-hmm. I think that was Leprechaun Four. Because it was, yeah, because Leprechaun, then Leprechaun 2 in the hood, and then Leprechaun 3 was back to the hood, I think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 4 was back to the hood. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah, they, they got bad. They got real bad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Annabelle comes home. That one actually comes out pretty soon. Like, comes out in June, and they just released their first trailer. But I think because they know they have the buy-in of so many people... They're like, you know, we're going to release our first trailer two months before it comes out. Yeah. It's weird trying to have that movie come out. Eh. But again, I I think because they know people are going to see it regardless, that there's not really any risk of like, oh, this is a scary movie in June. Like, they're like, who cares? People are going to see it. You think people are just, just, they're that into it, they'll just go see it. Yes. With the Conjuring films, absolutely. People saw, let me actually pull up how much The Nun made, because I'm pretty sure The Nun also made like triple its budget and the movie was Hutch Harash. Uh the nun. Let me see here. Okay, so budget was twenty two million. It made three hundred and sixty five million. Like what? It made yeah, more than Annabelle money. Creation and it was way worse. Ugh. <laughs> you know. So yeah, so them dropping a movie in June. Yeah, they're riding so high right now. So, go for it. Annabelle comes home. <laughs> uh, did you find the Leprechaun titles? Oh, here we go. Okay. So, Leprechaun, 1993. Leprechaun okay. 2, 1994. Okay. Leprechaun 3, no subtitle. 
Leprechaun 4 in space, so I was right. Yeah, 4 in space. Leprechaun Origins. Leprechaun 5 was in the hood. Leprechaun 6 was back to the hood. And Leprechaun 7 was Leprechaun Origins. (laughs) Oh, those movies are so bad. So, so You know, the first one was kind of funny. It was. I mean, it had it nailed that '90s horror comedy trope. Yeah. That kind of a bunch of people were going for, because it right. knew what it was. Like it was not trying to be the next. Oh, you, you skipped Leprechaun Returns, 2018. Wait, there was another one. Leprechaun Returns. Yeah. Hold on a minute, Leprechaun. Wow. Leprechaun Returns took takes place 25 years <laughs> after the original film. Um. Which fits. I mean, it was 25 years. Corpo so. plays the title role while Mark Holton reprises his role as Ozzy Jones from the first film. No. And it came out November 16th through Lionsgate. Wow. Oh, digital and on demand December 11th. Mm. Okay. Oh, and premiered on Sci-Fi March Of course 17th. it did. Of course it uh, did. <laughs> part, part of Sci-Fi's all-day leprechaun <laughs> marathon for St. Patrick's Day. Huh. <sighs> There you go. I like how, and again, this is not really fair to judge old movies on Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes did not exist. So it is kind of weird. But to give people a perspective, the first Leprechaun has a 23%, 2, 3, 4, and 7 have a 0%. I mean, that's, they're not that bad. Mm, they, They really are. Some of them. They really are. But apparently Leprechaun's Returns has 40%. That is the highest. Yeah, they're like B horror movies. They're not like it's oh, not I would I would say like C. It's not trash. The fact that trash. Leprechaun in the movie, I remember watching the first one when I was a kid, like over at a friend's house because there was no way in hell my parents were gonna allow me to watch it. So I was staying the night at a friend's house, his older brother rented it, and we watched it. And like at one point when they're trying to get away, they have like a bucket of shoes that they throw at him because he cannot pass up shoes without shining them. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I was like, wait, that is how you defeat a leprechaun by throwing that, shoes that's at him. That's a bold strategy, but <laughs> right. I'm, I'm with it. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, uh, tune in to the leprechaun fan cast uh, that we'll yeah. be doing. I'm in it. <laughs> or, uh, you got you to do those movies uh, next St. Patrick's Day. Mm, there we go. Never going to happen. Uh, cool. Okay, so the first movie on the docket is... The Tim Burton-directed Dumbo. Now, this is Disney's latest live-action adaptation. Uh, the last, the one before this, was it Pete's Dragon? Like, was the last actual like live-action one before this? Nah, not Pete's Dragon. Uh, hold on, live-action. I always get them confused. Pete's Dragon was a couple years ago. It had to be something else after that. Uh, live action remakes. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, right? Uh, oh, Christopher. Well, they put Christopher Robin. Yeah, I guess. Uh, eh. But yeah, Beauty, Be- the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is 2017. Alice yeah. Through the Looking Glass. Jungle Book. Uh, oh, Alice Through the Looking Glass. That movie. <laughs> so, so bad. Forgot about that movie. Yeah, justifiably so. Like, that was one where I fell asleep twice in the theater. And still did not care. Yeah, we still like we saw like an IMAX movie. Yeah, we saw it like at Pacific <laughs> Center or at a Seattle Center on like the yeah. biggest I'm biggest and best IMAX screen in Washington, 
and it right. still was just not even interesting. So you didn't yeah. enjoy Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> I I actually liked I liked his character. Just the movie was just so dumb. Uh, but yeah, pretty, that is pretty not bad. the movie we were talking about. We are talking about Dumbo, which of course is a the live action remake reboot whatever of the old Disney movie. Uh, it was actually I think Ooh. the the fourth Disney movie. Like it was from the way back machine. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Are there racist crows in this one? So that is a question. As soon as I posted that I was at this screening, four different people hit me up on social media and they were like, I don't care about the movie, just after it, tell me if there are crows, yes or no. So I will tell you as well. There are no racist crows in this movie. Oh. Oh, look at Disney. Look Trying at Disney learning <laughs> learning from its mistakes. Yeah. If anybody is wondering what we were talking about, in case you have lived under a rock since like 1940-something when that movie came out, the original Dumbo animation had four, I think four or five, crows yeah. in it that were total racist stereotypes. They kind of, there are people, there are, are apologists for it being like, well, yeah, but they cast, at least they cast black actors to play them. And it was like, no. No, that actually makes it worse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, can you voice this really bad racial stereotype? It'll be lots of fun, I promise. Yeah, and you can give it the authentic spin, right? Yeah. Yeah, can you do that? I like it. I like that take. Can you do a little more black this time? Oh, Robert Townsend you know, School of Acting. You know what I, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, have you guys done, speaking of uh, other things, so Tim also, of course, uh, is part of the amazing team of the Made in the 80s podcast. Did you guys do yeah. Hollywood Shuffle yet? Or was no, that... we have not. I think was that nineties or eighties? I think it was nineties. Okay. Or late eighties. I'm not sure. Uh but yeah, Hollywood Shuffle with, with Pete Townsend. Uh nineteen eighty seven. Not Pete Townsend. That's a that would be a different one. Oh. <laughs> Robert Townsend. Robert Townsend. Um does Pete Townsend was that won't you forget about yeah. me? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Robert Townsend, yes, that was 1987. So hopefully you guys can cover that one soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. But yeah, he definitely he has his school of acting. Yeah. For black roles, so yeah, so no crows in this. One of the original crows in the original Dumbo, his name was Jim Crow. Oh, that's too, that's too on the nose. I mean, they were not even trying. Are there any black people in this movie? So that. Okay, so first, let me go over the, the plot. That's been, that's been a knock on Tim Burton for a very long time. Yep. Oh, just wait for it. So, the, the plot of this, as opposed to the original where the whole time we see Bump, we see Dumbo with his big floppy ears, and we wait for him to fly and everything, spoiler alert for a movie from 70 years ago, he only flies in like the last five minutes. Mm. This movie, it actually starts with him flying, I mean... Early on, I want to say the movie like kicks off with him flying all over the place. But very early on in the movie, we see him learn how to fly, which is the weird one of the weirdest sequences. So if you remember in the original, the crows give him a magic feather, which then basically just gives him confidence and allows him to fly. In this one, the two kids, uh, which are played by Nico Parker and Finley Hobbins, they're Millie and Joe. Uh, farrier, for, far, farrier, farrier. I forget how they pronounce it in the movie. Uh, they give him a feather, but he is a little baby, and he accidentally snorts the feather, like completely inhales the feather, mm. 
And when he goes to sneeze, then his his ears flap and he flies for a second. Is the, is the fellow supposed to be a metaphor for cocaine? I mean, <laughs> it makes you fly, kids. Yeah. But you that fly. would be it would be one thing if they did that once and then like from that they're like, "Oh, maybe he just needs something else." Through the entirety of the movie, the main way that he flies is he snorts a feather. Yeah. This is definitely a drug <laughs> movie teaching kids about drugs. I mean, but it's just... how to get high, kids. <laughs> right. And so that is it was just a weird thing because you see uh, Eva Green, who plays Colette Marchant, this you know trapeze artist. You know, she see we see her training with Dumbo so she can actually ride him while they're flying around the circus. Whoa. And we see her kind of wave the feather in front of his face. But again, it is not just like showing him the feather to give him confidence. He has to inhale it to then suddenly give him the ability to fly. Yeah. Super weird. Uh, but this movie definitely takes a lot of liberties from the original, which is honestly for the best. This one focuses more on the human characters. So you have Colin Farrell, Danny DeVito, Eva Green, Alan Arkin, Michael Keaton, uh, a whole bunch of folks in there. And it focuses on the full circus and not talking animals, trying to kind of uplift this this weird elephant who is different from everything else. So it focuses on them, but it also does not really have any weight to it. Like one of the first things that I wrote down after the movie, when I was you know getting my quote ready for the PR rep after the screening, I said that this was an emotional movie in which I did not get emotional. Mm-hmm. Because we see... We see that, I mean, if you know the Dumbo story, you know what happens. So this is not a spoiler. Dumbo is born. He looks weird. The mom is very protective. There is an incident that happens. They think that she goes crazy because she's trying to protect her baby. And so she gets sold off to to somebody. And then Dumbo is sad. And then they have to try and meet back up with her and that whole thing. And so there were so many moments of this where I could tell what they were going for. I just did not feel any of it. Like it, it just hit the mark. Yeah, like and it I mean not just did it not have the emotional weight, but you and I have talked about this before with heavy CGI characters. You can tell when the actors are not physically interacting with something. Right. With these, a, another human being. Yeah, these little kids are are kind of leaning on Dumbo and be like it's okay Dumbo, but you can tell there's like a quarter inch Difference, like it feels like a distance that they are not actually like right. embracing it. So it was just, it was weird to have that distance. But this one also introduces Michael Keaton's character as V. A. Vandeveer, mm. who is this, you know, super vaudevillian, you know, circus as opposed to like the traveling circus. Yeah, he has the circus park, you know, where people go to him. So he, of course, goes to Danny DeVito, the owner of the traveling circus. With the deal of a century to buy Dumbo and, of course, buy all of the other circus performers and give them jobs. Uh, spoiler alert. No, it does not happen. He is the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, his character makes no sense. He's the bad guy. Yeah. But again, it just does not have any weight to it at all. Uh, yeah. Eva Green suddenly, like, because she works for Vandeveer... And then she meets the kids and the family when Dumbo gets there. She immediately, 
like bonds with the kids and is like so like protective of them and it was like oh that's adorable right because of course their mom died and so it is a single dad colin farrell who just got back from world war one he is missing an arm not missing i mean he <laughs> he lost the arm in the war it was not like he just woke up and he's like oh no yeah. what happened to my arm yeah uh which that was a weird scene because we see this emotional scene where the train pulls up to the old circus that he used to work for with Danny DeVito and his kids. And he has his, you know, his uh, army jacket on and it is buttoned up. Like it is, you know, he is obviously missing his left arm and he is walking through the circus with all of these people with different abilities, different sizes, shapes. And they're all kind of looking at him oddly. And it was like, this is the circus. Like what? Like I felt, like they were judging him for not having an arm. And I was like, is this not the place where people with different bodies and shapes? Was, and it, was it that kind of circus? It was. Oh yeah. They, they definitely kind of played it. They had the strong man. They had kind of a bearded lady mermaid thing. They're like, Hey, why aren't you working on this guy? It Come was on. just, it was it kind of work. Yeah. It was kind of weird, but, yeah. uh, but to your original question of if there are black people in this movie, because Tim Burton yeah. for whatever reason does not, do that um there was one <laughs> and yes and guess guess what his uh guess what his circus thing was was he a rapper oh, come on now was he like the strong man there you go nailed it in one hey, his name was go. rongo the strong man <laughs> rongo <laughs> it's just like come on tim burton get it together man i mean Ooh. together. He's, yeah, he can't catch a bird. <laughs> Wrong go. So, of course, he is the, you know, the big brute, but of course, he is also really smart and he helps with accounting and all of that. Uh-oh. The smart black guy trope. I love it. Yeah. You think I'm a dumb, strong guy, but I'm really smart. Uh, look at me. Black people can be smart, too. <laughs> yeah. So dumb. Yep. Uh, I'm glad I missed this movie. Yeah, so just, I mean, the, the more... The more I thought about it, and and I have kind of been sitting on this for a couple of days, it just, it really was just that emotionless, kind of weightless movie that I know that there are going to be kids and families, especially right. kids. Kids are probably really going to like this. The visuals are great. Dumbo looks cute. Dumbo's doing drugs. Dumbo is, is huffing feathers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it just, it did not really land with, with me. Uh, the flying scenes were kind of cool. They did have a pink elephant scene, which, if you remember in the original, he gets drunk. And no, then, I do not remember that. Oh, yeah, he gets drunk with uh, the mouse. I, I think, like, Timothy Mouse or something. What? Yeah, and then hallucinates pink elephants. I have no idea what they were drinking in the yeah. 40s to make them hallucinate pink elephants. Moonshine. I mean, <laughs> something. So there is a pink elephant scene in this, and it is outside of the flying elephant. Mm-hmm. It is actually a larger willing suspension of disbelief than a flying elephant. Okay. That's fair. Like, it has... Because there are basically humans making these big bubbles, but the mm-hmm. bubbles then are sentient and interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. I, it was bizarre. Super bizarre. Uh, the performance is, like, overall... I mean, yeah, everybody was okay in this michael keaton was just too over the top to ever be anything but the maniacal like you know twiddly mustache circus guy uh the kids were good in this even though they felt 
distant from the pe- the thing that they were supposed to be interacting with the most. Uh, but yeah, so the official rating for the About to Review podcast, if this is your first time listening, there are only three choices. No stars, no letters. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something you would recommend to a friend. A bad film is something that did not really grab you and you were not really that excited to tell your friends about it. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Uh, for me, and you and I are both film critics, and these are all opinions. For me, this is a movie that I will absolutely forget about. I will give Tim Burton credit in that this is his least Tim Burton movie in a long time. Uh, Danny Elfman did the score, of course, because they're best friends. This was the least Danny Elfman score in a long time. The colors were bright and like just really, really... That I liked the palette and the overall look of the film, but this movie means nothing to me. Uh, I I gotta give this an ugly, um, which I mean, I I, I kind of hate to do a little bit. Why do you hate to do it? Because I I know that families are going to enjoy this, or at least the kids are going to enjoy this. But if people have fond memories of the original Dumbo. I, I think this is just not really going to connect. If this movie had started, if the movie had opened with Baby Mine, if somebody had started singing that, I would have immediately started crying. Like, because I have really good memories of that song. Or you just like to cry. Is that it? I, I wish I liked to cry, but no, it is the opposite. Um, but so if they had opened with that, it would have probably primed me for more emotion. We do get Baby Mine towards the middle of the movie, but it just, it did not really hit me because I think by that point I was already kind of desensitized to the film. So, unfortunately. It sounds like it has all the skeletons of a film that should be good, but lacks so the heart of a movie that pulls you in emotionally and makes you care about the characters. Yeah, I mean, that that really is it because I I could tell what they were going for and I could see the emotion in the scenes it just, there was always a distance to it. So, yeah. that was weird. So, unfortunately, Dumbo gets an ugly. Yay. Uh, <laughs> the next film is one that Tim uh, and I have also seen. But, Tim, I'm going to have you set up Shazam. Shazam is DC Animated's latest, DC and Warner Brothers' latest film based on the character Shazam about a young boy named Billy Batson who's a living in a, in a foster home with his parent with, with his new parents, and he's been running away. And he, after stopping a bully for beating up his foster brother, he is summoned by the wizard Shazam and chosen to be his champion because the evil people have a champion um, played by Mark Strong. I forgot the character's name. Dr. Um, Savannah. Dr. Savannah. And so... Billy Batson gets these superpowers. He's essentially like Superman. And so he gets, he's fast and he can fly and he's got super strength and he's bulletproof and all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So this, this young kid is learning how to be a superhero and, and hide his identity from other people. But also he ends up being on the, sort of the bullseye, the crosshairs of this villain who wants Shazam's powers. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that it has an Annabelle creation tie-in because David oh, David F. Sandberg, who directed Shazam, also directed Annabelle creation. He directed Lights Out, uh, which, oh, which was a super creepy 
feature length film based off of a short film. So like yeah. this is a a legitimate horror director doing a film that is arguably the lightest slash fluffiest DC movie we have seen of this of this current run. A lot of horror elements in this film. Exactly. So the main place that I mean, so Shazam obviously gets his powers from the wizard Shazam. And Shazam is the acronym for all of the powers that that he gets, you know, and what's interesting is yeah, Dr. Savannah gets his powers from the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. And so we see them kind of captured in the Rock of Eternity, which is where the wizard Shazam lives, and they're trying to break free, but they need a conduit. They need a human to latch onto, just like the wizard Shazam needs to give his powers to somebody. So the acronym for Shazam is the wisdom of Solomon, strength of Hercules, stamina of Atlas, power of Zeus, courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. So we have those, which are, you know, are definitely the, the Greek, you know, pantheon, but the seven deadly sins were not really part of the Greek system of belief. So it is like in this, in this DC world that we have crafted or that we have seen crafted so far with Wonder Woman getting her powers from the Greek gods. We saw Hercules in the flashback of Wonder Woman yep. fighting Darkseid the first time. So it was like, okay, obviously the Greek gods exist on in this universe or existed or something. Enough where they can draw power from them. So to throw in the seven deadly sins was an interesting twist to this. Now, how did you feel and like... It was like a horror movie twist, too. It wasn't even like a fun twist. It was like, this is scary. Yeah. Well, and what was also interesting is when Savannah... The way that Savannah and the seven deadly sins interact mm-hmm. and the way that his kind of power manifests when they kind of uh, morph or not when they morph. Yeah. What is... When they, when they are released... You know, into yes. the real world. They're surprisingly violent. Uh, yeah. But demonic is the word I use. Demonic, yes. Demonic, yet we do not see any blood. Which is a fascinating not. choice that DC decided to make, especially after the other DC movies we have seen with Dawn of Justice and Batman for Superman, where people are just punching the hell out of each other. It is dark, it is gritty, it is kind of bloody. This yeah. one, we see monster like demonic monsters eat somebody. Somebody's head. Somebody's oh, head. Man. And it th- what what is interesting is in that shot, we see the demon like go to eat the head. The camera pans down to the feet, which is normally in a horror movie where blood splatter would be there. Yeah. This one, it. it pans to the feet and then cuts away to something else. Yeah. So that was clever. I definitely liked. More than I thought I would, I liked Zachary Levi's performance as Shazam. Mm -hmm. I think those first few pictures that we saw months ago that were leaked of his puffy suit, it looks a lot better in this movie. It looks silly, but it fits the movie. Like It looks silly, but it fits how silly and childlike the film is. It's a perfect fit. It doesn't look like a grounded costume or like a gritty look at anything. It still looks silly, the puffed up muscles, but mm-hmm. it fits. It fits. Yeah, and, and I think that is the 
the biggest thing is that as silly as it is, because I was thinking is in the comics, depending on which iteration you go to, because the character of Shazam, aka the original Captain Marvel, was from 1940, and it was basically a ripoff of Superman. Like, yeah, yeah, not just sure. a ripoff, like, they got sued by DC Comics, Fawcett Comics, the original publisher, got sued and lost. So they then had to sell the rights to DC. It was a big mess. And so initially, they kind of pulled from that. And I think that in this movie, they do a good job of being like, if a 14-year-old suddenly were to get all these powers and envision kind of what that would be like, it would be kind of this overgrown silly character right who's not up for the challenge but realizes he has powers and tries to make money and goes to visit all these weird places and yeah he's doing everything a 14 year old would do yeah and i actually liked that i pointed out and i will definitely admit when i am mistaken i pointed out a continuity error in one of the trailers when this first started launching so we see the grocery store scene that was in all of the trailers from the very beginning we see him you know, beat up the bad guys and come out with beer in his hands. And then we see another scene from that same, another shot from that same scene, but he has a bunch of candy in his arms. And so I said it on an episode, I don't even know how long ago, months and months ago. I was like, oh, they probably had to do that because a critics or a parent group was like, oh, bad messaging. It makes complete sense in the movie. I totally oh, you admit. Know what it was when you saw it? I figured out what it was when I saw the trailer. Like, oh, this is this is gonna be the gag. Yeah, I I did not. So I totally admit that I was mistaken on that. I thought that was, but it makes total sense in the movie. <laughs> Again, like you yeah. said, what a fourteen year old would do, and then yeah. it's what you think about movies like Big and these other sort of body swap movies. They have similar situations where they're trying to do something they think is really cool that adults do. And they're like, ah, I don't like it. This right. Work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamon Hansu, uh-huh. that guy keeps getting checks. Good gravy. Keeping uh, those checks, Jamon. Man, it. this is his second DC movie. Cause second he was, time was in a Captain Marvel movie. Uh, oh, yeah, that is true. So not only was this two DC movies, because he was also the King Fishman and Aquaman. Yep. But he was also one of the Kree soldiers in not just Captain Marvel, but in Guardians like, the dude is getting to work, so good for him. Good, good for him. Uh, Mark Strong is great. Like, I mean, Mark He's Strong... He's a great villain. He is always good. He is one of those actors you and I have talked about before. Our friend Jess from the Curly Nerd Podcast is a huge fan of Mark Strong. Mm-hmm. Because he is just... He is always solid in almost yeah, everything he does. He's real solid in this. Really good villain. And what I thought was, was also good is, like, so Freddy, uh, his adopted... Or his foster brother... The family that goes to adopt Billy yeah. was incredible because, you know, we have talked about it before. The normalized diversity that we saw in this family with yeah. kids of different ethnicities, ages, body sizes, all of that was so effortlessly done. None of it felt forced. None no. of it. There were no weird things where like, oh, well. Ask her because she likes so, and it was just, yeah. it just happened. Yep, and so. it, it helps because none of the kids were like annoying kid actors. They were all pretty funny. Even like the little little sister, she's yeah. really funny. <laughs> she has some funny lines. Like everyone kind of has a moment to do or say something that's not too crazy, but sort of gives you an idea of, their, of who the characters are. So yeah, they did a really good job with that. Yeah, especially with uh, Billy and Billy Freddy and Freddie. Freddie. 
Yeah, and that actually that they had good they had good chemistry. Yes, and that reminds me of something on <clears throat> something else with Dumbo that I actually did enjoy is that the young daughter in that, yeah. instead of being a circus performer, she has grown up in the circus and seen that she has an interest in science, and her dad Colin Farrell is always like, well, why not just learn to juggle or why not you know yeah. why not just learn a science act or a circus act, but she is fascinated with science and it pays off. Like they actually mm-hmm. they follow that track with the character and in the end she is kind of doing some other science and it is this new technology like that was cool so i liked that she had some agency and that and in this one yeah all of the kids they get some moments well got some moments it's pretty good um what was the other thing that i oh there were definitely so there were some deep cut comic book references in this okay uh so one of the things that we see multiple times in different versions i guess so there were multiple mentions of the tiger there's like oh i want the stuffed yeah. tiger i want this and that one of captain marvel's original sidekicks kind of was takitani who is an anthropomorphic siberian tiger oh nice so or bengali tiger technically um so that was kind of cool that they just they put that in there 90 percent of the people seeing this are not going to pick up on that yeah. But that was awesome. I right. loved that they did that. The school that they go to, the high school, was mm-hmm. Fawcett Central. Fawcett Comics was the original publisher of Captain Marvel. Like, that was just, those were clever things that, again, felt effortless. Right. Now, the things that did not feel effortless. Okay. The multiple references to the movies, like, Batman versus Superman or Aquaman that they and Superman that they shoved in there that I mean it was so heavy handed at parts like Freddy we see Freddy in a Superman shirt we see him in a Batman shirt we see him in an Aquaman shirt yep what blew my mind and what really right and what really bothered me the more I thought about it your next movie DC is Wonder Woman it comes out next year not a single reference to Wonder Woman not a one. Not a t-shirt, not a toy, nothing. And it was like, what are you doing? Like, it seems like they learned so much from their past, not not mistakes, but past uh, films. Getting away from the dark and drew tone, working on this, and starting a world building. Your next movie is coming out in a year, and there are no references to it. And there are no allusions to, like, no oh, post credits lead to it. No, and that was the thing. Like the post credit scene that we get, not even post credit, the end scene, yeah, that we get is so dumb. Like it was the biggest cop out, and it had to do with a lot of contract stuff that I will not. I'm not going to spoil. But you and I, yeah, we talked about this a long time ago of like what they could do, and they did it the dumbest way possible. Yeah, they could have. They could have had Wonder Woman in that sequence. It, it would have made. So much more sense to be like, oh, here is this other hero that exists that also gets powers from the Greek gods. Boom, here she is. Oh, and look, for, and then in the movie with like Wonder Woman 1984, June 2020, or whatever. Uh, Nothing. Like that yeah. really bothered Nothing. me the more I thought about it. It's just, it, it didn't bother me. It just, it's a reminder that there's no real plan over there, that they're kind of like, let's see what works. Because any smart person would say, well, let's put some Wonder Woman stuff in this film because it's our next movie. Let's have a post-credit. 
let's let's remind people this thing is coming, even though it's a year out, mm-hmm. which is even crazier. But they don't do any of that. It's, yeah, it's all of this. Like it's it's a it's a boys movie, so boys want to see Wonder Woman, and boys want to see Batman and Aquaman and Superman, and like no, like it's it's a comic movie. Let's yeah, let's throw the comic book stuff out there. Let's get people excited for this new movie we got coming, and they sort of as they've done continuously, just drop the ball on something that seems very simple. It was a layup. Like all you needed to do, there are one, two, I would say three women in this two two of like the family like two of the right. daughters have one of them in a wonder woman shirt like just the mom, something the mom shirt. anyone someone at the school yeah anything anybody. Any, anybody so that just that was so weird uh one of my favorite moments in the movie though is they played on the humor of this was surprisingly good like it was on mm-hmm. point a lot of the times but my favorite moment as far as the humor is concerned is when Mark Strong as Dr. Savannah and Shazam are kind of facing off with each other. Yes, it still takes place at night. Yes, it is still mm-hmm. dark. Come on, DC. You were so close. But we see them fighting in the city. And in Dragon Ball Z, they do this. In superhero movies, they do this. Where you see the two characters like 500 yards apart yeah, talking to each other. In this, we see them flying, hovering in the distance. A good like five hundred feet or five hundred yards apart, like a good. You said, you said we're like a mile apart, what right? Like mean? a mile apart, and you see Mark Strong giving this impassioned villain speech of like, first I'll crush your bones and blah blah, yeah. and you see it pans over to Shazam and he's like, what? What? I yeah. I can't hear you. He's like, yeah. we're too far away, and then it goes back to Mark, unimpeded, just in the middle of his speech, and they yeah. did it with the rule of threes, which is a comedic rule. It did that three times, and then it went back to. Zachary Levi Shazam, and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to come over there. And then he flies to him. Yeah. Hilarious. Funny. Funny because, bit. They had a lot of good funny comedic bits in it. it yeah, really like Dragon Ball Z would do that all the time. Like characters would be flying apart like two miles apart and would just be having a conversation with each other. Yeah. So that was really well done. Uh, this does give me hope for for what is next. Oh, no. I don't, I, but I don't it's... Know. <laughs> I just don't. I, I don't know if they have a plan. Like I like that this is a good one-off, just like Wonder Woman was. But you know, it's 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 until they can be consistent. It's always like two steps forward, four steps back. Yeah, that that is true because it just not including a single reference or mention of Wonder Woman is crazy to me. Is is really crazy and borderline offensive because it is like, come yeah, on, and guys. Even, and not even. And not even not even just your best movie, one of your most popular movies, one one of your movies that's like the most critically acclaimed movie, and this is like we're not going to mention it. It's an it's an odd choice to say the least. Yeah, um, the ending credit sequence was uh, also was also great. I really liked it. It was like this hand drawn animation, but again, oh that was fine. I thought you were talking about the actual mid credits. Oh no no. So we see the hand drawn animation, and we see Aquaman, Superman, Batman, and we see Wonder Woman in that. But it was like. Really? So she gets relegated to a post-credit scene? Or not a post-credit, like, I was like, come on, like, what are you guys doing? Now again, like we talked about the Marvel movies, there are two post-credits, there's a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene. The mid-credit scene is one of the deepest cuts that I have seen in a while, similar to, like, Captain Marvel pager 
if people did not know that was what Captain Marvel's symbol looked like, they would have they had no idea what was going on and why Nick Fury was wanting to get that off so quick when he was turning to dust. Well, at least with Captain, at least with that in Infinity War, it's 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 linked to something larger, a larger world that you know of. Yeah. This is like, what world are we talking about? There's yeah, no, it's not linked to anything else other than this very specific character. Yeah, a very specific character from 1942 that has gone through a bunch of different iterations. But it was like, remember how long ago we started hearing that The Rock was going to be Black Adam? Yeah. The mid credit scene sets it up perfectly. Like, the, the way that everything is going in this mid credit scene. Nobody knows that. But that Nobody is, has any idea that's what that is. Of what what is? What actually happened? That that is setting up oh. a, a Black Adam movie. Oh no, Nobody but I'm saying that. like at least if they had done that, if they at least if they had had the rock even in a mirror, like a little shimmer, yeah. people would be interested. What they actually yeah. show, only people like myself and a bunch of other yeah. comic book nerds are gonna be like, oh, and then I have to explain it. What was funny is at the screening that I was at, uh, one of our other local critics, Sarah Michelle Fetters, she was there as well. The movie gets over. I type my notes, whatever. And she was waiting for me at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> I come down. She was like, okay, please explain that. And yeah. then I had to explain it. Like, that Yeah. That was weird. Yeah, and then, you know, and The Rock produced this movie. Yeah, he was an executive producer. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Rocky So that was just weird. The the actual post credit scene was super dumb. And a week after the movie came out, or not yeah. a week after, like the week it was coming out, the latest trailer they dropped includes that scene in it. Uh, way to go, DC. And it was like I, I really want these movies to be good. I mean I mean I, I sound unenthusiastic about it, but it's a fun movie, it's a good family movie. The the seven deadly sin stuff was much darker and demonic than I was anticipating. Yes. I don't know what level of kid you feel comfortable bringing me to to see this movie. Like I don't know. Yeah, that if, is if valid. It just if it was just Mark Strong, I'd like, bring your bring your kids. But like those creatures are legit, like creepy. Yeah, those are scary. And I mean, and they and it red not just eyes and, and the voice. Like yeah, and it is not just yeah the like you were talking about the eyes and the voice. But these are monsters. Like these are actual monsters. Who the yeah. way they move, the way they yeah, walk, yeah, they're scary. Yeah, you're killing people all movie. So that's different. But I think it is. It is a fun movie. It's DC taking a step in the right direction with these kind of movies. Yes. It's lighter. It's sillier. It doesn't take itself too serious. It it makes fun of the genre and superhero tropes, and it you know it does what a lot of a lot of uh, sort of introduction to superhero movies you have to do not necessarily even an order story but you're introducing a character and you happen to give some backstory about who they are what they can do and figure out their power set it's all it's a lot of that happens in this film which leads to it feeling a little bit too long a little bit not not a lot it's a little bit like yeah all right we could have cut down this third act a little bit but it's still fine i wasn't bored at all watching it or like yeah trying to look at my watch i was like okay this we're stretching this out to get to a point that we all know is coming. Like it's an inevitable showdown between the two big bads, um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's fine. Yeah. So I definitely enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, there was enough of those deep cut references. The humor was great. Uh, 
Zachary Levi, like, yeah, he he surprised me. You know yeah, that he's good. he was he was good. Uh, all of the kids were great. The family was good. So, yeah. All right. So the official rating for Shazam. Tim, go for it. Uh, it's a good. It's, it's one of DC's best movies. It's mm-hmm. it's not my favorite of their bunch, but it's definitely up there. Yeah, I I agree. I think that with Aquaman and now Shazam, the 180 degree pivot away from Batman versus Superman and Justice League is complete. Like they, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I say all that. I, I think that I don't know if it's complete. We got a, they've got that crazy Joker movie coming out. We don't who oh. knows that's about. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> this apparently super dark. Uh, and we don't know what Wonder Woman's gonna look like, and we don't know what they have coming next after that. We don't I, know what Birds of Prey is gonna look like. True. I just think that the tone, the Zack Snyder effect of the really dark, gritty yeah. war movie, essentially. Right. I think they're really trying to get away from that with Aquaman now with this, and I think it isn't. Yeah. If that is their plan, which None of us know if that no. is their plan. They are going in the right direction. So yeah. uh, I give this a good as well. I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. So cool. Okay. So to recap, I gave Dumbo an ugly. Uh, I think that kids will like it because Dumbo is cute. I did not feel any weight from the emotion, from the characters, nothing. Uh, and then Shazam, we both gave a good to. Fun movie, one of DC's best of recent years, uh, not including the Christopher Nolan ones because those are just unique, amazing films on their own. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so what you got coming up soon? Um, we just did Highlander for Man in the 80s. Nice. Next week we're doing, High- we're doing Highlander 2, The Quickening, and mm-hmm. which is really bad. Which is insane. They're aliens it's all insane. of a sudden? Like Yeah, what? they're from Zeiss. <laughs> what? Oh, God. Yeah, and then we're doing um, The Last Starfighter and mm. They Live. They Live is my birthday. I get to pick the one for my birthday, so I picked uh, They Live. It's a, a classic movie. So working on that and you know reviews for uh, Shazam, Pet Cemetery, and just waiting for Endgame. Nice. Cool. Yeah, uh, same here. So upcoming uh, reviews will be for, yeah, Pet Cemetery is coming up soon. And then the Vancouver Badass Film Festival, I will be doing an episode where I talk about my favorite uh, shorts and films that I watched. I mean, they're doing, they have like seven feature films, 46 shorts over this three-day film festival. So I'm really excited to check all of those out. So I will do an episode of my favorites for that, and then a separate episode for any interviews that I end up doing with some filmmakers who I can wrangle into whatever makeshift podcast studio I create. Uh, so thank you again because of the Vancouver Badass or to the Vancouver Badass Film Festival, to Generativity Productions and Darkside Releasing for sponsoring my coverage of that, uh, and David Abusafi as well. So for this episode of the About to Review podcast, which you can find on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and every podcast platform there is, I have been joined by Tim, the People's Critic, and I have been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.